Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. This is episode 10 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. I'm so glad that you are listening today. I've got a fantastic interview with the Reverend Dr. Margaret Mullen. Margaret is the executive director of Winnipeg Inner City Missions and the pastor at Place of Hope Presbyterian Church. She also recently won the Women of Faith Award at the Presbyterian Women's Conference, I think just over a week ago. And um, you can find a link to that on the website. Uh, Margaret is a First Nations woman. Her mother was Ojibwe and her father was Irish. And so she has a great perspective on First Nations uh, and the intersection of First Nations and Indigenous practices and Christianity. So we talk a lot about that. Um, she works in the inner city of Winnipeg, where um, most of the people she's working with are um, Indigenous people. And so we talk about some of the challenges of ministry in the inner city and what that's like. We talk a lot about how do we understand spirituality and also just about um, First Nations people in Canada and what it is that we need to understand um, about the history and um, and simply about the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, particularly in the life of the church. Um, so I really hope that you enjoy this interview. But I also wanted to give you a personal update today, um, particularly about my new book that is out. It's actually out today, uh, this week, uh, here at the end of May 2017. So the book is called Let God Be Present, and I wanted to read to you the description of the book that is on Amazon. So here it is. Even though we know it is important, we don't always feel like connecting with God. We might search for meaning, connection, or guidance, but if we're honest with ourselves, that strong desire for God's present presence isn't always there. In Let God Be Present, Reverend Matthew Bruff brings a fresh honesty to the assumption that all Christians always long for and are always seeking God. Drawing on the wisdom of biblical stories about Moses, Samuel, and Jesus, you will be introduced to new ways of thinking about God's presence. You will gain insight into how these stories apply to your life, and you will discover a renewed openness to God. Get Let God Be Present Today and uncover the will, courage, and persistence to truly connect. And so the uh, ebook is available right now for 99 cents on Amazon. And actually in the interview with Margaret that you're about to hear, we also mentioned my other book, which is called Let God Be God. So they're both kind of part of a series. You can read them in either order. Um, the proceeds from Let God Be God are all going to support Winnipeg Inner City Missions, where Margaret works, and the Kenora Fellowship Center as well, which we also mentioned in the interview. Uh, that book, both books, only cost $0.99 cents for the ebook, and But in the next few weeks, the price of both of those ebooks are going to be going up. So if you want to read them, even if you don't think you have the time right now to read them, you can go and get them and just buy them for $0.99 cents each. It's a great deal. And, uh, and then you'll have both of those books whenever you're ready to read them. Also, some people have been asking me about when the paperback will be available for Let God Be Present. And it is in the works, but it's not available yet, so I can't promise uh, an actual release date. But I would encourage you to, even if you're maybe not a huge fan of ebooks, it's 99 cents and you can read it on a computer, on a phone, on a Kindle device, on an iPad. So it's pretty easy to get. Um, so I'd encourage you to go and get the, the ebook. It's only 99 cents and you can start reading it. And then even if you're intending to buy the paperback, um, the price on, on those are, uh, are pretty cheap as well. So, um, it's not going to break the bank for you to get both. I would encourage you to do that. And, uh, yeah, so this, um, 
I'm super proud of this latest book. I actually think it's the best thing that I've written to date. And, um, and the intent of the book is really uh, to help with the mindset around God's presence. So it's not a how-to book. Like, it's not about how to find uh, practices that you can try and uh, to, to connect better with God. It's more about being honest about how we we don't always really uh, think too much about where is God and then how do we start to change our mindset about uh, what God might be up to in our lives and being really honest about sometimes God's presence is really comforting and wonderful and other times God's presence is experienced as real challenge to us. Um, so just being honest about that and not just saying, well, it's just always this wonderful thing. Um, but, but that sometimes it's, it's, it can be difficult. Um, so kind of walking through some of the stories, um, we talk about Jesus calming the storm, um, and, uh, and then also what happens after the storm and where is God presence in present in the calm and, uh, and whether, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and, and how we experience that. Um, I talk about the, the Samuel story. It's the story about Samuel hearing, uh, the voice of God calling in the night while he's still a little boy and he doesn't recognize it as God's voice. Eli helps him realize it's God. And, um, and, but I have slightly, uh, we go a little farther with that story to talk about um, what Samuel actually hears. And it's quite a difficult message that he receives from God. And what do we do with that? Um, so it's in some ways, it's this wonderful story of God is speaking and how do we listen and how do we do that with the help of of a mentor or a help of community. Um, but then what do we do when God says something that we maybe don't want to hear? Um, how do we, how do we deal with that? Um, and I don't think we always think about that with that story of, of the boy Samuel. Um, and then the Moses story, um, which is the first one that appears in the book is, um, actually the story of, of Moses, um, having almost arguments with God, about whether God is going to go with them uh, through the desert uh, and or whether will it be the presence of an angel or will it be God's presence? And, and Moses kind of argues it out with God, arguing with God, saying, we need you. Uh, we need to have your presence with us. It has to be you or it's it's not going to work. And um, and so we kind of deal with that and, and, and kind of talk about how much how much do we really want God's presence in our lives, um, acknowledging that we do, in fact, need God. Uh, so that's kind of the the structure of the book, um, and I would encourage you to go and get it. And if you're able to leave a review for it on Amazon, that makes a huge difference. I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that it only takes a few sales. So if you're thinking, if you're kind of on the fence for 99 cents, I would love it if you came off the fence and uh, got the book because... Th- a few sales does actually make a really big difference for the visibility of the book for other readers to be able to find it. So the way things work, especially on Amazon today, it's not necessarily the way things used to work with uh, publishing uh, even 10 years ago. Today, people are able to find books on Amazon simply through searching and um, and recommendations within the Amazon website. So uh, if there are reviews on the book, that makes a big difference. And if uh, if people have bought the book, it actually makes a difference to the visibility of the book. So other readers will be able to find it. So if you've read anything that I've written before and you've enjoyed it at all, go and get the book, even if you're going to read it later. Um, and that will help other readers be able to find, uh, that book, maybe readers who haven't heard, uh, about me or about the, about the, uh, the books that I'm writing. Um, so that would mean a ton to me. I also love hearing from readers, and there are a few of you that are listening to this I know that have emailed me about some of the, the things that I've written, and I'm happy to, to get those emails and uh, reply as much as I can, which is, uh, I think, pretty much to every, every email I've gotten, I've been able to reply um, to people who have read some of the things I've written. Um, but you can also uh, find me on Twitter or on Facebook. I'm happy to interact with you there as well. Um, so yeah, please go and, uh, and get the, get the two books or especially the latest one this week as it's launching this week. Uh, but that's enough me promoting the books. I'll just let you listen to this great interview with Margaret Mullen. 
I'm here with Margaret Mullen, and I'm actually in person, which is so great. Um, Margaret is the executive director of Winnipeg Inner City Missions and the minister at uh, Place of Hope Presbyterian Church uh, here in Winnipeg. So it's great to be able to talk to you, Margaret. It's great to have you here. It's an honor to be asked. Uh, I'm wondering if you can uh, tell us a little bit about just Anishinaabe Place of Hope and Winnipeg Inner City Missions, what it is, um, because I think listeners will want to know that and what the ministry is like here. Winnipeg Inner City Missions is a mission of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Um, We're one of eight of the National Native Ministries uh, missions that the Presbyterian Church operates. We have a church that was established in um, 2014. We've been worshipping since um, the year 2000. Finally got established as a Presbyterian congregation within the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Um, On top of having the church, we also have um, Anishinaabe Place of Hope, which is uh, First Steps to Employment Project. So there is uh, is a transitional housing. Anybody who is eligible for the project um, comes into the housing and then we work with them. Their age is 30 to 50, single, um, long-term unemployed for any given reason and um, are ready and able to find their way into the work setting. If anybody has had an addiction in the past, then they have to have at least one year of sobriety before they come into the project. And they just concentrate on themselves, on their own healing, on their own education, um, on their own uh, path to employment, and we have a social worker that works one-on-one with each of them. Then at Flora House, uh, we have our children and youth ministries. We work with children and youth ages um, 1 to 14. And we're concentrating on the on the younger children um, because by the time they're 15, 16, um, you will have already lost them to the street. So we need the earlier years to develop character, to develop um, self-esteem, to develop uh, a passion for learning and uh, moving forward in life. So uh, the younger kids, um, one to five, we have a parent or grandparent, whoever their principal guardian is, and the child both come to the program and they work with a social worker who also has early childhood education um, diploma and she just teaches the the adults how to be and play with the children so that the children can learn as they grow. Mm-hmm. So they're ready for school. And then um, we have after-school programs for the age 6 to 14. And during those programs, we just try and... Um, provide opportunities for those children that their families cannot provide for them that every other child has. And uh, we also work with them to keep them current in school. We work with the um, school principal and the school teachers and find out where they're they're failing in school and help them with that so that we can keep them current in school. And, yeah. So there's a lot that goes on here, basically. Um, So you... Um, and I know, like, my experience is coming down here on a Sunday for church and just sort of seeing, I'm not seeing everything that's taking place there, but seeing some of the community um, that uh, that gathers here. It's a pretty vibrant and, uh, and I think, diverse community as well. Um, but, it, but at the same time, I, like, your population is mostly uh, First Nations people, right? We have about 96% yeah. First Nations at church. Um, probably about 60 or 70% in the housing project and at least 85% in the children and youth project. So highly Indigenous. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges as well of ministry in the inner city of Winnipeg? And um, you're describing lots that goes on, but in, in a sense, this is a smaller program compared to some of the other things that happen in this part of part of the city. Um and there's just vast need. Um, right. So maybe you can give people a picture of that. Like some people will know this, but others who are listening from other parts of the world won't necessarily realize what the context is that you're working in. So we work in the inner city of Winnipeg. 
And um, the population um, with in the neighborhood that I'm working in here is around um, 49% Indigenous, and there's a high population of immigrants, um, also a new immigrant. Um, our neighborhoods have been um, identified by the Social Planning Council of Winnipeg as as being communities of deep poverty. So the the um, the, the worst poverty that there is pretty much in Canada exists within the inner city of, of Winnipeg. And so we're dealing with families who have um, who have either come as an immigrant or who have um, lived in this area for a long time, and they have generations of poverty in their family. Um, and we're just trying to break the back of poverty amongst the people that we work with, and that's just that's a really um, difficult task. With the people that we're working with, we have, um, I don't even know how to explain it. It's not, it's not lack of hope. It's just lack of any sense of there being a better future possible. Mm. And so um, breaking through that and just helping people find hope, uh, discover hope, and, that, and that's a deep spiritual thing. It's mm. the need to discover some kind of hope, some kind of worth, and, and once they have discovered that, then they can look forward to moving beyond where they are now. Until they discover that, then they're stuck. Right. Um, I'm interested in a couple of things. One of the reasons I asked about uh, Indigenous uh, people is because I'm interested in talking about um, the, the relationship you see between Indigenous teachings and, um, and how that comes along Christ, alongside Christianity and uh, um, but I also want to hear a little bit about your own personal spiritual practices. Because um, I could never do your job. <laughs> uh, and, like, as a pastor, I just, um, I can't get over the amount that you do, but also the difficult circumstances that you are working in on a day-to-day basis and the kinds of things that you are having to work through. So I wonder about, what is it that helps you through all of that? And is that related to your spiritual practice or not? There's several things that I do to maintain my own personal spiritual health. Um, one of the things that I do is smudge um, every day. And um, I start my day with a smudge. Um, I end my work day with a smudge. And for me, that's just a very prayerful time. It's one of the um, indigenous practices, spiritual practices. And um, for me, it has just provided a very physical way of praying where you can pray in silence and and know what you're doing and and that you're offering yourself um, up. So when I... um, cleanse my hands in the in the smoke of the smudge <clears throat> what i am doing is i'm asking um god just to cleanse me from everything that has been negative in my life my own way of being my own life but other also um all the negative stuff that comes at me like when i'm counseling when i'm working with people um and so so there's that purification part um it's also a confession you know like cleanse me from everything that I have done that that I ought not to have done. Um, And then it's also, um, like, as I draw the smudge up over me, I'm I'm asking Creator, I'm asking God, I'm asking Jesus to help me see through the eyes of Jesus or Creator um, so that I'm filled with the same compassion that Jesus has. Mm. Um, I, I... bring the smoke up to my ears and I'm, and I'm asking um, creator to help me hear amongst all the chaos because there's a, there's a lot of things that we hear and a lot of things that we um, read and, and where's truth in all of that. <clears throat> and so help me, help me um, hear truth, help me speak truth. So again, the, the smudge up to my mouth, uh, the smudge to my heart is um, help me to have compassion for all human beings so that I can meet 
people um, exactly for who they are at the time they are and when I meet them right. with unconditional love. So that's one of my that's one of my spiritual practices. Um, I also go off on retreats, and I do retreats in two different forms. Um, sometimes I just go out to St. Benedict's, uh, which is the Catholic retreat center north of Winnipeg here, mm-hmm. and I spend one overnight, two overnights, um, and just get into silence, and um, and in that silence meet with God without any kind of agenda. So I've learned how to do a silent retreat, and that just kind of empties me of everything, all the, all of the stuff that's going on inside of me. I just let it go, and and breathe in in the freshness of God. Um, I also do retreats out um, at indigenous lodges, mm-hmm. so um, I'll, I will maybe go to a sweat. Uh, sometimes I'll just go out into the country and um, and light a sacred fire and keep it going 24-7 um, and sit around the fire. It's, but And the whole time I would be praying. So I would pray um, for myself but also for other people. So it's like fasting and prayer. You just kind of take the time aside and spend some real concentrated time in prayer. Um, Can you just tell people what what a sweat is? What a sweat is? It's one of the indigenous um, practices. The sweat lodge, um, well, it's built out of willows that are bent over. It's uh, it's, um, a round um, dome that sits on top of the earth. It's covered by canvas. Um, Inside, there's there's a sacred circle in the middle, um, so that there's never been any feet that trump on it, mm-hmm. and there's a pit <clears throat> pit there into which they put the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside, outside the sweat, there's a big fire going, and they put in rocks. We call them grandfathers. Mm-hmm. And, and then those heated-up rocks are brought into the pit inside the sweat, and um, it's pretty much like a very, very hot sauna for people who don't understand what's happening inside the sweat. Right. <clears throat> Once the door shuts, um, then there's a round of prayer. So it depends on, on what the sweat is for. And it can be for several things. It can be um, to share the wisdom and the teachings. And so you, you hear a teaching and then everybody who's in the sweat shares what that means to them personally and how they're going to move forward in their life hmm. um, living with that teaching. Uh, there can be a healing sweat so that when you go into the sweat, the, the sweat leader um, is, uh, we will pray <clears throat> maybe for all of, the, um, all of the children and youth that we know hmm. and, and for the healing that they need spiritually and physically and emotionally. And then the next round would be for the adults, and the next round would be for the elderly. There's usually four rounds, and in between each round, um, the door opens so they can bring in some more rocks. And at that time, if you can't tolerate the heat and and you need to leave, then you can leave. Like, it's okay if you leave, just don't leave... Like you go outside and still participate in the prayer rounds. Mm, okay. <clears throat> um, right. But the whole sweat is a purification thing too. You know, like you you just sweat out all of the negative stuff that's in mm. your life, and you and you give it out. You give it to Creator. You leave it there when you crawl out of the sweat, mm. and you come out refreshed and having had a prayer prayerful experience. Right. You were going to say something else. Was there another thing? Um, so it was a kind of retreat, <clears throat> and then. The smudge, the retreats. Was there anything else you wanted to... Journaling is really important for me. Okay. Um, I pray better at the end of a pen. Yeah. Uh, I think it keeps me focused so that I can say, dear God, it's me again. You know, hi God, it's Margaret again. And then I just start to write. <clears throat> and and as I hear responses come back in that prayer time, I also write those. Mm. Uh, then I can go back and I can reread those journals um and then the thing that's most important i think not really of all of these but 
is a daily reflection time right at the end of the day, uh, reflecting on how it is that I have been able to walk in a good way that day. So I'll reflect on this was very good. Um, so it's encouraging. It's it it um, brings me back to those moments where yes, I was doing, I was walking in the way that God showed me. I was following Jesus in the way that Jesus um, showed us and taught us. And then I also think of, okay, so where did I mess up? Because we all mess up. And um, I think it's really important, especially for me as a spiritual leader, to think about those places where I messed up. But I have to do it every day or else it builds on me. So if I do it every day, then I can just let it go. I can I can think about how I would do that differently next time if the next time arrives and it's always going to arrive. And then I can ask God um to help me, to to fill me with God's spirit so that I make less mistakes mm-hmm. during my next day. Yeah, I think that's similar to the examine, right? It's similar to like or even things like gratitude journaling that people are big into today. Um, but even people do that who are not necessarily connecting it to spirituality, but are taking time at the end of their day to write down what are the three things I was grateful for today or reflecting on their day. That sounds, mm-hmm. it's a similar kind of thing, right? Similar so, kind of thing. Um, and the examine is the same, same thing where you go back through and reflect on, you know, where was God in this or what, what am I thankful for from today? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's, that's great. Um, now I, I kind of want to ask as well, and, and we'll come to a little bit about how you understand these things going together, but, um, why, why is this important? Like, obviously this is really informs how you lead as well, or how you, uh, are a pastor in the community you're in. Um, and so why is it, why is it important for the people you serve for you to speak with them? Uh, about Jesus, about God, um, in the context of indigenous teachings. So you do those things alongside one another, right? Like that's, yes. Yep. So why is that important for the for the people who are here, or how have you seen that make a difference for people's lives? It's a it's a very difficult place to be in. Um, I don't think the world is kind of caught up to us yet, where. Yeah. We're walking as a as a follower of Jesus and walking as an indigenous person who follows the indigenous ways <clears throat> can happen at the same time. Um, <clears throat> it came, like for me, it was important to me because my mother was Ojibwe and my dad was Irish. And so we come from this tradition of um, colonization and settlers and also of the original peoples who were who were in the land. And mom and dad made it very clear to us as we were growing up that we were both, and we were going to have to examine both of the traditions and find a way to walk comfortably in with both, as in our blood. Mm. And that took me quite a while, took me many years. Um, so I have... Um, I had to get comfortable in my own skin. And then it was important for me to give back what the church had taken away from the indigenous peoples. Mm. Because we were told by the early church that it was sinful um, to go to the sweat or to go to a shake tent ceremony or to go to the sun dance. It was um, evil to um, play the drum and to, to dance the dances and that's just not so. <clears throat> it's going to take the church a while to catch up to that theologically, and it's going to take the indigenous community a while um, to want to even engage with the church fully at that, in, at that theological level uh, because they're in the process now of reclaiming what was taken away, and they need to become strong in that before they can be able to... Um, work with scholars and theologians to kind of sort that out at that level. But at the ground level, it's, just, it's so important for our children. They always feel like they're not good enough. And, and they are. I mean, they, they are who they are, and they have a cultural and a spiritual background. 
um, that can be accepted within the Presbyterian Church, just like in my indigenous, in my Irish um, setting. Um, there was no problem with with the Irish people um, bringing their Celtic traditions with them in and and following Jesus. Mm. So I don't understand why it was a problem where my indigenous people could not bring their indigenous spirituality with them when they learned to follow Jesus, when they accepted Jesus into their lives. And so it's just always been that for me. And, and it's about teaching right from our younger ones, right from our babies, um, that they are who they are and that, it, that they are beautiful, that they are worthy, and that their traditions are acceptable within the church. Yeah, I think like a big learning for me, uh, and really, I guess this was when I was in seminary, um, just around uh, realizing that the church for millennia have ha, has ended up being in other cultures where there are cultural practices and spiritual practices in those cultures that the church has then figured out a way to um, incorporate and include. Sometimes they, they do that. And other times it's the church has been a colonizing force saying, you know, those, those practices have to stop. And it seems like some of the more ancient practices, like the Celtic example is a really good one in Scotland and in Ireland, because there's certain practices that were Celtic practices that then get adopted. And there's a whole flavor of Celtic Christianity um, that is quite different and feels quite different than uh, what North Americans think is like, quote unquote, real Christianity. Um, Like in some ways we shouldn't need Celtic Christianity. Like we don't put you know, Greek or Roman Christianity before the way we practice it or, you know, American or Canadian Christianity before as a, as a qualifier for the kind of Christianity we practice. So I, I just didn't think about that before going to seminary and realizing that there's been this whole process of the gospel going into culture and having different ways of that being expressed in those, in, in the culture. Um, and I just never, experienced that before uh for me when i've when i've come to to worship here at anishinaabe place of hope where the the worship service starts with a smudge um and uh that's not for me that i feel like well that's not my practice but that's this people's practice so i'm there and i will either and i am welcome everyone's welcome to participate and, and be involved. And sometimes I might, but other times I might kind of, um, you know, for me, I actually have an aversion to the smoke. So I find it, find it difficult to sing afterwards. So sometimes it's like, I'm going to hold my breath for a bit. Um, but it's more about, well, this is this people's practice and this is not my practice. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that the way that I practice the faith is exactly how everyone else should practice the faith. So even when there's a practice that I don't fully understand, I feel it's my job to kind of how can I respect as much as I possibly can, even if I don't quite understand what's happening there? This people understands what's happening, and mm-hmm. I need to respect the fact that this people understands what it is that they're doing. And and you do a fantastic job as well in worship of... Like, when I've been in worship with you and you're leading, your worship is solidly grounded in Jesus Christ. And then at the same time, you're engaging in spiritual practices that are rooted in indigenous teaching. Like it's, it's really quite an amazing thing that you do. I don't know if you realize that, um, but, I, but I, I, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how you hold those together and you have such respect for traditional teaching and, and then your heart is so clearly with, with Jesus. It's, it's great. Thank you. That's encouraging to hear. Really, because yeah. <clears throat> uh, that's that's where that's where it is for me. Like we are followers of Jesus, in whatever culture that we find ourselves in, <clears throat> and those cultures need to be respected, and they need to be understood, and they need to be seen through the eyes of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, how do you like? How do you respond to people who? Because because I, I have trouble with this too. But how do you respond to people who might be worried about 
syncretism. Like syncretism, I think people kind of say is the sort of an unhealthy merging of different religions, cultures, or philosophies. And when is that? Because there is a line somewhere. It's kind of fuzzy and it's hard to figure it out. Um, I believe that all human beings are spiritual beings created in God's image. Um, that um, spirituality is what we do to connect with God. And so that can happen in many different ways, many different religions, many different understandings of, of God. Um, and then there's Jesus. And, and for me, Jesus is the clearest um, understanding of who God is. God in the flesh lived amongst us, um, showed us um, how, what it was to live in a good way to love, um, to be able to forgive, to be able to build up instead of tear down. And, um, and then, you know, like I, I have to believe in incarnation, which is Jesus was born of a human being woman uh, without sexual relationships with any man. Um, and I have to believe in physical bodily resurrection, or else I, I, I can't, I can't be, I can't claim myself to be Christian. Because it's about the incarnation, it's about resurrection. And, and everything in between, um, if we believe these two ends, then we believe that Jesus is who Jesus said he was, or who he was claimed to be. And, and we have a very clear vision of what God wants from us in this world. Mm. And so I can go into any of those cultures and I can tell them about Jesus without discounting anything that they have ever heard or known. Because in all of those other cultures and all of those other religions, because we're all human, we're all spiritual, we're all built by the same God, we all... Um, are about the practice of living in a good way as understood by how that's revealed to us by God, there should be a respect that goes all the way across the borders. And and as a Christian person, as a follower of Jesus, I can speak strongly about who Jesus is for me and why I choose to follow Jesus and just invite other people to follow me. I don't need them to, mm. but I can invite them to follow me, and I can, and I can leave the judging to Jesus in the end because God has given that job to Jesus, and the rest of us should just get out of the way. I really like that. That's really good, and I love that. Like it's an invitation. Like even Jesus' invitation is an invitation. He's not forcing. Or not supposed to be forcing. Come, anyone. follow me. Um, and and in some ways, that's the story of like colonialism as well. Is that we treated Jesus' invitation? We stopped treating it as an invitation, right? It was this is this is going to be forced. This is going to be enforced. And uh, wow, is that ever? Like, how wrong is that? And how arrogant is that um, to do that? Uh, to other people and to kind of manipulate the gospel um, for for human ends, right? Rather than divine ends. Mm, I try. I try not to use words like sorry manipulate. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I, I use because, it. I didn't. <laughs> but but we have had this arrogant yes. kind of understanding of what it means to only come to God through Christ. Hmm. And, and there is a reality about that. God has given Jesus the, um, the right and the responsibility to judge all human beings. So nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. Um, but let's leave it to Jesus how that judging is going to happen. Right. right. <clears throat> because if we look at um, even the parable of the sheep and the goats, 
And Jesus said, it's going to be easy for me. I'm going to know. Like, it's going to be like sheep and goats. And he was talking to to um, shepherds, and, and they knew what he was talking about, right? And so it's going to be easy for me. I'm just going to send the goats off to this side, and I'm going to send the sheep off to the other side. And the sheep are going on into this everlasting life with, with um, God. And, and then they say, well, how, how do we end up in the sheep, and how do we end up in the goats? Well, read the, read the account in Matthew and really study that and think about it. Mm. It's about our character. Mm. And so it's about developing good character and living in a good way if we want to be safe in that judgment with Jesus. All right. I just want to kind of maybe shift gears a little bit. Um, but I, I kind of want to ask about how can, how can people who are listening to this, first of all, kind of what, what can we do to, to do better with understanding, um, you know, what are, what are the kinds of things that, well, I don't know if they're things to do. What do we need to know as well about, um, in particular, Indigenous people in Canada or in North America um, that would be helpful for people to, to know about, especially people who are in the, in the life of a local congregation um, who maybe are perhaps wondering about all of this and aren't, aren't really sure about what they're hearing. Um, and, uh, you know, what do those people need to know or what do we need to know? I think the time is for listening and learning this time, this, this generation that we are in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then learning how to move forward together with indigenous people. But until we listen and learn, until we, um, hear the history, until we, until we know, what the history of Canada has been like when it comes to um, Indigenous people and first contact with Indigenous people and, and how that has, has built itself up over the um, many hundreds of years that, they're, that we've been together, uh, I don't think that we can start to move forward because there's always a sense of, of um, well, I didn't know that, or there's the denial that never happened, or um, why don't they just get a job? See, I hear a lot of, well, we apologize, like, why, like, aren't we done? Like, is that, like, that's... That's the beginning. The apology, the apology is just the very beginning. Um, people need to be able to hear the apology, um, and some of the Indigenous people are not there yet because they need more healing. Mm. They, they are only just beginning to feel like they are being heard, and so there's some who are still angry. There's still, there's lots who are wounded. And there needs to be a healing process that's going to take a while. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the side of uh, the non-Indigenous I people... I think as well, like, putting it into the context of relationship, like, actual, like, real human relationship, when you've been really hurt by somebody and that person does apologize to you, 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 don't, you don't necessarily always... You, you may you may say it's okay, but that doesn't mean that the hurt has magically disappeared, right? Like, even, just think about when, when that's happened in your own life. It, it takes a long time, and it, maybe it never fully it never fully goes away, right? Like, and if but if you're committed to actually working on the relationship, if you find a way to do that, you know, there can be something beautiful at the end of things. But it's really, really hard, and it takes a long time. So just, I think, to say, well, we apologize, so now we're done. You would never do that in, in a relationship between, you know, two siblings or a good friend where you'd had a hurt that had taken place. You wouldn't say, well, I apologize, so now I'm done. I don't need to worry about you anymore. Like, that's, like, I think we've got to put it in, in real terms for people. And the the apology um, for me, personally, is a very first step. It yeah. acknowledges that wrong was done. Right. And that is a huge step when it comes to being, for the other side to be able to hear that apology, to, to understand and to recognize that, that there is an admission that wrong was done. Mm -hmm. Helps me to, um, it validates my whole being, my whole sense of, of who I am in history. It doesn't make it right. It just acknowledges that wrong was done. Yeah. Then we begin this long reconciliation process. 
which is where we are. And, and reconciliation um, is going to be a very tough journey. And non-Indigenous people are going to have to be patient with the, with the length of that journey. And Indigenous people are, um, are more and more coming to the table. There's, there's what's called circles for reconciliation. And there is what's called Reconciliation Canada. Mm-hmm. And in both instances, those movements are being led by indig- Indigenous people. And I think that that's where we need to be. We need to allow Indigenous people to lead mm-hmm. that reconciliation process. Mm-hmm. And so their understanding of what it means to reconcile. Uh, with reconciliation circles, they, they have a whole um, ten series of um, you bring together five Indigenous people and five non-Indigenous people, and you sit in circle together and you deal with ten issues that need to be dealt with. And and the, I mean, the information is all there. The how you start this, the circle and how you end the circle is all there. You just have to Google yeah. reconciliation circles. Sure. Um, Google reconciliation Canada, mm-hmm. and that is being led. Um, by Indigenous people, bringing non-Indigenous people into the circle mm. and and learning how to hear each other and understand each other and, and be present with each other. And I was at um, three different settings of that. One was at Turtle Lodge up in Seguin, and we spent um, two days, and, and that was Indigenous-led. It was very local. Mm. Um, but they brought together indigent spiritual leaders from all the way across Canada, and I was there representing the Presbyterian Church in Canada at that one. Then there was another one here in Winnipeg, and it was just this week. Yeah. And um, it was funded by the Winnipeg Foundation and led by um, Circles of Reconciliation, and they brought together all kinds of not-for-profit organizations and people um, to again get into circle led by indigenous people right. and talk about what reconciliation means and how we move forward with that. Mm-hmm. And then on a more um, a more intimate level, uh, we had um, indigenous elders from Kenora Fellowship Center mm-hmm. uh, come here with Yvonne Bearbull, who's the executive director there, and meet with Myself and our um, church elders, the ordained elders of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, plus we invited in one other pastor and church. And so we had um, Kevin McDonald and some of the members of his church. So it keeps it small. It keeps it intimate. There was four of each or five of each. <clears throat> and, and we had a sharing circle together. And the indigenous people told their story. And, again, it was led by Indigenous people. Mm. <clears throat> and, uh, but it was, a, it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful time. There was, there was some tears. There was some discussion afterwards. There was, but it's all in the relationship. Yeah. It's getting together in those intimate gatherings of 10 or less mm. when you're able to. And bringing together Indigenous and non-Indigenous people and, and with the Indigenous people just telling their story mm-hmm. about how they have, in this instance, it was about church, right. the one that we did here with Yvonne and myself and, and um, Kevin McDonald. It was about how, how the Indigenous people have experienced church. So it's healing and reconciliation between the church and Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, and that's good. That's a that's a good point. The other thing that I hear as well uh, sometimes is, well, I don't I don't know any native people, so particularly um, this is it's not so much in in Winnipeg <laughs> because it's, it's, I, people still do say that in Winnipeg, but it's harder to make that claim. There's a there's a big population. Um, but I know people who are in 
in other churches, whether they're in like rural areas or um, or in other cities where the where the uh, First Nations population isn't isn't as big of a percentage, where they say, well, okay, I get that this is a this is an issue, but it's really only on an issue level. It's not the relationship level isn't there for them. So it's just sort of, well, why should we talk about it? Because we don't actually, I don't actually know anyone. What do you do with that? I think you just encourage people to um, find ways to learn the history. Hmm. Because we, we, we have not, we have not been taught in our schools. I have lots of people who say to me, how come I never knew that? How come we never learned this in school? Yeah, I didn't learn any. I didn't learn anything about about the history of residential schools or anything really until going to seminary. That was the first time I was really hearing about things, and you know, I shouldn't shouldn't have really been able to graduate from high school in Canada and get an undergrad degree without having without having ever really heard about it. Right. I think it's sort of peripherally heard about it in the church a little bit. But it was really only just, uh, our confession as a church was really only just being done around that same time that I was in university. Uh, so it just really wasn't there. And then I think it sort of, it, after our confession, I know it seemed like the profile kind of just faded for a while in the wider church. And and now, I don't know, we're hearing a lot more voices now saying, yeah, we have to we have to really learn this. We have to know. And it's not ancient history. No, it's like, not. It's rec- this is recent history. It's recent history. I mean, the, with the residential schools, I mean, even 1970. Yeah, yeah. That recent, we still had residential schools that were open. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yes, I think, I think that if you don't know an Indigenous person anywhere, and, and there is nobody close, um, in the cities, you can always find the friendship centers. Mm-hmm. You can always find um, the spiritual centers for Indigenous people. It might be a little harder if you don't know how to find, yeah. um, but if you if you look up the Friendship Center, that will give you access into the Indigenous community. The other thing I, I would want to say to, to church people um, is that the church has a history of really caring about things like overseas missions. Right? Mm-hmm. So here are people that we've never met, and yet we feel like, oh, yeah, let's have agencies of big denominations that are set up specifically to engage with, build relationships, and assist people who are living in other parts of the world who we don't really know their culture, but we, but we want to feel like we're helping the world. So it's not really... That you don't know a person of a particular culture is not necessarily, as a Christian, we should care, <laughs> right? And and as Canadians or even North Americans, I mean, these are the people of this land. Yes. And, um, I mean, it probably shouldn't get me started on this, but I'm just, I'm, I'm calling <laughs> Presbyterian World Service and Development to eventually believe that Canada is in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because there's there's a lot there's a lot of indigenous people in this land who are living in worse than third world conditions. Yeah. And and our church is not moving in the direction of Canada yet in the in um like and and it's about Presbyterian world service and development. It's about mm. helping those communities develop, yeah, yeah. so that they can be come beyond where they are. Yeah. And that needs to happen in Canada in our indigenous communities. Yeah, and I think a big thing as well. I'm not like I'm not necessarily saying we need to have big agencies doing this. Um, maybe we do. That's that's fine. But I also think we need to be telling the stories of, of also what what is happening where people are doing work on the ground and how do we support that right. in, in a greater way as well. So things like what you're doing here at Winnipeg Inner City Mission, what Yvonne is doing in Kenora Fellowship Center, and there's other places. I mean, those are the ones I know because they're part of our 
presbytery right. and part of our work. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, that's another thing that if people are listening to this, if you've made it this far on the interview, um, how can people help what you're doing? Um, what, what are some specific things that they could, that they could engage with beyond um, educating themselves? I think that's probably the biggest thing, but, um, but how else can they help? Um, part, of the, part of what we need um, as Winnipeg Inner City Mission staff is um, prayerful support, hmm. um, care that we exist, care that we are, are working in crisis ministries, you know, 24-7, um, care that there's not enough resources on the ground, there's not enough staff, there's not enough um, finances, and, and, and then beyond caring, step in and try and do something about increasing those resources for us. Yeah. If you live locally, and, and that's locally here for Winnipeg Inner City Missions, but if you live locally to one of the other National Native Ministries ministries in the Presbyterian Church, get involved in that ministry. Go down and talk to the executive director and say, I care that you exist. I care that this ministry exists. I care that... There's a there's a a vast injustice that has been done to Indigenous people. Help me understand how I can help here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you live distant from us, um, we have a website. Mm-hmm. www.ca. You know, like www.wicom.ca. W-I-C-M. W-I-C-M.ca. That's where people should go, right? And that's where people should go. They can see what we do. They can, um, there's, a, there's places there. There's even a button to donate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, if, and, and when it comes to donations, what's, what's really helpful for any of us who are ministering on the ground is if those become monthly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we have these vast areas of time, you know, where we're really trying to scramble and figure out how we're going to make payroll next week. Yep. And um, and it, and if we were more comfortable knowing that the payroll was taken care of, we could spend a lot more of our energy, our like as executive directors, on developing the program mm-hmm. and the staff and the people. Yeah. I think the other thing too that I've seen is that you have to spend time as the executive director doing things like fundraising. And um, and grant writing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you are also the pastor of a church that has has a lot of needs, um, and you're you know directing things for for the mission. Like really, Margaret's doing at least two jobs, and it's probably more than that. And well, we have, I, we have to manage the facilities, like yeah. the actual physical buildings. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We have to manage the staff that exist. Yeah. Uh, we have to um, do all of the fundraising. So I think when people, I think sometimes people are, are hesitant about, sometimes they can be hesitant about making donations to some organizations. Like I, it took me a while to learn, actually money really helps. <laughs> Like, it makes it actually does make a big big difference and not just in necessarily the ways we think that oh okay if we're fun we're funding or fundraising for a specific purpose like this staff position or something like that when a donation comes into Wycombe it enables you as well to do more of the work that you were really supposed to be doing right um, as opposed to trying to go out and get the money in order for the work to happen. And you're still going to have to do that. That's not going to go away, but more of those donations that just come in from people that where you didn't expect it. I mean, isn't that a great surprise when that happens? It is it's a great surprise <laughs> when that happens. And so. it's a great it, and it's a great blessing for me um, when it happens on a like all of a sudden somebody comes up with a a $10 a month. Yeah, yeah. Donation for me is like one of those really exciting things because 
that's another $10 I don't have to worry about this month, and I'm not yeah. going to have to worry about it for three years. Yeah. So if people, if they go to the website, it's wicm.ca, there's a button there or a that link says there donate. says ways to donate. Mm-hmm. They click on that, and I just went there today and took a look. So basically, there's a description there of all different kinds of ways you can donate, and there is a way to give online through an organization called Canada Helps. Right. And But there's other ways to donate as well. Like if you are a person who wants to send a check in the mail, the mailing address is there, and you can do that. We're um, also set up for PAR, for congregations okay, that are so, used to PAR. Yeah, um, and um, and people can also just contact you directly through that website as well. Yes. If they've got questions or if they want to support the ministry in some way, they can do that. Um, I will be slightly self-promotional as well here. If people buy my book, Let God Be God, the royalties from that are going are being split between between Winnipeg Inner City Missions and Kenora Fellowship Center. So uh, thank you so yeah. much for that. <laughs> so it's not a ton of money um, because the the ebook is ninety nine cents. So I think about thirty cents of every ebook sale gets split. So about fifteen cents comes here, um, but you're only spending ninety nine cents to send fifteen cents here. So that's great. Um, and I think if you buy the paperback on Amazon, I think it's about a dollar fifty of whatever the cost is, or a dollar to a dollar fifty ends up getting split between the two missions. But all of that ends up adding up. So if you're someone who wants to read my book and you haven't yet, and you think, oh, I can also make a donation, small donation at the same time, you can go do that. Um, but probably the bigger way you can help Wycombe is go to that that donate page and uh, and support them that way. So we'll leave it there. We've talked a lot about asking you for money. So thanks for listening if you've listened this far. And thank you, Margaret, for doing this. Thank you. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.